listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Good morning, New Chapel. Welcome to the first part of Family Matters. If you have anything to take notes with, pull that out right now. If you had a good childhood, if you had parents that loved you, on Friday night, you'd go swing by that gas station, get some, some maple nut goodies. You'd get some circus peanuts, right? I think that's made out of styrofoam, by the way. Uh, you'd get some cheese curls. Come on, somebody. And, and you'd go home, and, and your parents would allow you to stay up and watch TGIF. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? I remember when I would stay at my grandparents' house, and they would say this. This is monumental. They'd say, Joe, why don't you go down to the cellar and get a Coke? I'd run down to that cellar quick as I could, and I'd get one of those old glass one liters, and my grandparents made me split it with me and my sister and Jamie Hogg's all the Coke, and I just, man, the rest is for me. And, and we would watch TGIF. We'd watch Family Matters and Step by Step. Anybody remember the, how about Perfect Strangers? You're dating yourself a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, I wanted to show my kids that, that series, wanted to show them at least one episode, and so I went on Apple TV, and I bought what I thought was going to be one episode, and for $79.99, I am now the proud owner of the entire 10 years of Family Matters, and here's what's so surprising, my kids love it. In fact, ask Jack or Aurelia, or Frank for that matter, to do a Steve Urkel impression. They know the lyrics for the opening song at the beginning, they know it better than me, and, uh, and I love that show. You know, uh, in watching it with them, the first episode is where we started. And did you know that the first episode actually ends with the whole Winslow family gathered around the family piano and they're singing, he's got the whole world in his hands. As I've watched that series, there are so many things where you can just see everybody was kind of like on the same page with family. And now today, it's so different, isn't it? And so this series, we're going to be talking about some of the most important issues in your life, no matter who you are. And, and there's nothing more serious than family relationships, whether you're a father, mother, a son, daughter, whether you're a husband, wife, whether you're young or old, family issues are so important because they affect all of us. We all have to deal with family relationships somewhere down the line. And this topic is a little bit challenging to communicate. In this room, I mean, you can imagine, there's a lot of different people, different backgrounds, a range of different situations. So we have in the room, surely, newlyweds, but also those of you that have been married for a very long time. Some of you are on your second, maybe even your third marriage. Some of you are single because you never married. Some of you are single because you're divorced. Some of you are in a blended family and you're raising kids that you're not related to by blood. And others of you are in a traditional family. In the room, surely we have people that have already raised their kids. They're adults. And then we have other people that have kids at home. And of those kids, maybe some of them are foster kids or adopted kids. And so you can see in a room, even just the side, a size, there's a very broad dent, uh, tent that we're all under. There's a large group of people, and it represents so much diversity in the room. But here's what I know. Family is under attack. Family is something that is, is being attacked. The nuclear family, and I would even put it better, 
the godly family where you have a husband and a wife and children, it is under attack. Candace Cameron from Full House uh, went under fire this week for making comments talking about traditional family and traditional marriage. Uh, I actually, in researching for this series, and excuse me if I'm uh, revealing how green I can be with these things, I found out something exists called a truple, and it is a, a marriage where three people are involved, which, by the way, just sounds exhausting to, to let you know. How do you schedule? Anyway, <laughs> can I just say for a minute, marriage is a Christian. My wife is cracking up on the front row if you, if you don't hear that in the video, but marriage is a Christian covenant. It's a Christian sacrament. Now, wouldn't it be strange if you lived next door to a guy and he's a Muslim and he says, well, I insist that I take Muslim communion. You'd be like, well, that's kind of weird because communion points towards Jesus in every way. And it's not really, I'm not trying to assert myself on you, but it's kind of strange. There's no such thing as a Muslim communion. Does that make sense? Well, in the same way, there's no such thing as a trouble. That's not marriage. There's, there's, the, there's, there's a force in this world that's trying to redefine things. And it doesn't mean that it's legitimate. I don't care what law gets passed. The only legitimate marriage is one covenant that is a man and a woman and God Almighty at the center of it. A three-stranded cord is not easily broken. Can I, anybody know what I'm talking about in the house? So, so these things are important and family is important. There are organizations that are combative, that have said on their website as part of their mission, they want to destroy the nuclear family. And these people are being lauded as some sort of moral high ground. They do not have that moral high ground. All these things are happening right now. And so here's what I know. We all need help with this. This is something that we all are dealing with. I want to give you a little bit of a contrast with how the world views things and a little bit of how God views things before we jump into the meat and potatoes of today. Uh, there's one group of people, and, and they just want to... They, they want to flush the toilet on you. They want to cancel you. A whole uh, culture of people that want to take you down and rate you off. And, and I'm amazed in some ways at how many people, even in the church, are bailing on marriage. Like the first little tiff that you have with your spouse, and it's just they're the worst in the world. And, and listen, Jesus talked to us about a really good reason to have a divorce, and that's adultery, sex, sexual reasons, and then number two, abuse. There's, there's great reasons. But even in that, I, and I acknowledge that there's emotional abuse, but, but the first time you have a little spat with your husband, he flies off the handle, maybe even pops a hole in the wall. I'm not saying that's right, it's wrong. But all of a sudden, you're an emotional abuse victim, friend. No, you're married. And, and sometimes those tips are things that you need to work through. And we're just so good as a culture of rating people off. And here's the problem. You will not live forever in your current state. You cannot, with impunity, keep on hitting the reset button on your life. You won't get out alive. And so while the world is rating people off, write this down. My belief is God would say, I can put it back together. God can put it back together. The world hardens its heart and, and abandons relationships. God wants to put things together. Well, Pastor Joe, you don't know my situation. I might not. and I might trek with you on it. But listen to me. Restoration is a God thing. It's a miracle that he can produce. He can soften hearts no one else would assume could happen. Here's another one. A culture is, is trying to bring up this thought that they can have their truth 
and you can have your truth. I was watching, it is the worst commercial on earth, with the worst music on earth. It's uh, kind of the poor man's Uber Eats. It's called Grubhub, and it's got this awful music that's on repeat with like these claymation little demons dancing around. I can't stand it. And, and they're talking about some crazy uncle, and then they're like, oh, uncle so-and-so, you live your truth, and I'll live my truth. And I'm thinking, mm-mm, A, I ain't using Grubhub, but number two... <laughs> There's no such thing as your truth and my truth and their truth. And well, I just don't see it that way. And they see it that way. Look at me. That's weird. There's, there's just truth. Welcome to 2022 where this is the beginning of a sermon. There's just truth. There's just what is true. The world works a certain way from the great prophet Dean Martin. The world still is the same. I mean, it's the same. It doesn't change. It works on God's principles. There's still a truth. Can I hear an amen, somebody? And so we, we have a whole group of people that want to redefine things and put different titles with things to try to make people perceive them in a different way. Write this down. We need to let the one who designed relationships define relationships. Like he's the author of relating to one another and true Christian fellowship and, and a marriage and friendships. He gets to say what it is. I got to move on. Uh, the world has a version of love. <laughs> the, the world will say with the same vigor, I love my kids. And you'll say the same thing. You'll be like, I love pumpkin spice. And you'll say it with the same breath. And the world has this different perception on what love is. But the Bible defines what love is and what it looks like. It's relational. And here's what I want to show you today. It's love. If it's God's love, it's beyond condition. So write this down. Real love is unconditional. It's a huge deal because a, a, a anti-Christian worldview is seeping in through the way we educate our kids. It's seeping in through TV. It's seeping in through their phone. And it is trying to indoctrinate the next generation and even many of us in a non-Christian worldview. And we have to go back to what God says. We have to go back to fidelity in the word of God. We have to go back to where we walk in God's love. Are you with me? And so, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Real quick, 1 Corinthians 13, this is the love chapter in the Bible. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard this scripture passage. Uh, it's typically what you make your future brother or sister-in-law read when you don't want to stand with them at the wedding and you don't want to pay the tux rental fee. And so you tell them they have a very, very important role, and that is to do a, a reading from the Bible. Let me read it for you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Bible says, love is patient. Let's just stop for a second. Is that what we see in Christianity today? Some of us is like, love is irritable. You know, love is upset. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Now, now look at me, everybody. You know what that means? It means to take value away from somebody else. In this political climate, in this moral decay, here's what we're not going to do to win the battle, is bash them to make ourselves into a strong man. Now, I'm not saying that we don't call things out. Absolutely. If you know Pastor Joe, I can, I can do it with the best of them. But, but let me say this. We need to not dishonor people and take value from them. God Almighty sees them as a son, a daughter, someone that could come home. And so we have to, it's getting real rowdy around here. I know this is like a shouting message, but let me just say, we got we to gotta honor when others are acting dishonorably. 
we got to value when others don't value. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It's hard to say that with a straight face. Uh, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. I don't want to take a pull of hands, and we'll just say how many people in the last 15 years would have been happy if the president would have died from a heart attack. Well, that's not what the Bible says. It does not delight in evil. That's not how we win this, everybody. I'm here to tell you that you just you take one guy out, another's going to pop up. We don't fight against flesh and blood. And so we don't delight in evil. We rejoice in the truth. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And then it never does something. Never fails. God will never let you down. Can I hear an amen, New Chapel? And that's more than great poetry. That's more than wedding theater that we put on. It's something that I believe can be transformative. And the Bible knows, God knows that you're not going to be perfect on this side of heaven. God knows that. And that's why in the very next chapter, it says this in 1 Corinthians 14, let love be your greatest aim. That even though it's not perfect, and, and look at me, this man is not perfect. My wife might tell you that I am, but listen, she dirty communist lie. I'm not that perfect, but it is my aim. I'm trying to become more like him. I'm trying to allow this thing to transform my heart. So what if Christianity was more than just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, God, I repent. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then I just don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. And then I, I won't be nice on the way to hell uh, or heaven, but, but I'll try to be real sweet. And it's, it's, what if it was more than just fire insurance? And what if it looked a little bit more like a journey that God wanted to take us on? What if it looked more like a step that he wants us to engage on? The Bible says we're called to go from glory to glory. What if Jesus is more interested, yes, in you to be become more like him and show that love? What if that's what it's supposed to look like? What if you don't have to become angry and narrow? What if you don't have to become peeved at somebody's Facebook post? What if you could say, God, I'm not where I want to be but I'm not where I used to be. Thank God. And I'm growing and I'm developing and I'm not going to get angry and narrow and bitter like everybody else. I'm not going to become dishonoring. I'm not going to become a person that, that becomes critical. And God, what you're doing inside of me is working out a transformation process. So I will not be angry chiefly on 131 honking my nose and, and speaking sign language when I really don't know how to speak sign language in Jesus name. Amen, somebody. What if it's a process? What if it's a journey that he's trying to take us all on? It is. Professionals did a survey, and they wanted to find out what love really was, and they wanted to survey many different people. One segment that they surveyed, it actually became the highlight of the whole study. They surveyed those in our society that have not been tainted by the world's version of love. And so they, they surveyed four- to eight-year-old kids. I want to share with you some of their responses. Uh, Rebecca, who is age eight, she says this, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. I think she's got a little bit of a handle on it. Billy, age four, when someone loves you, the way that they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. 
That's pretty profound, right? Carl, age five. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) Carl needs a little bit more work of the Holy Ghost in his life. But (laughs) Chrissy, age six, she says this. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give any of theirs. Now, Chrissy, that's actually the Bible word sacrifice. Very close, very close. Uh, How about Terry, age four? Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Oh, very profound. Wow. Danny, age seven. Love is when mommy makes coffee for daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure that the taste is okay. Emily, age eight, love is when you kiss all the time. And then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and talk more. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. (laughs) My kids will tell you. Bobby, age seven, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas. If you stop opening presents and listen, the Bible says out of the mouth of babes, God has perfected praise. Nika, age six, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. We need more Nikas in the world, don't we? Noel, age seven, love is when you tell a guy that you like a shirt and then he wears it every day. (laughs) Noel said that. Claire, age six, my mommy loves me more than anybody. You don't see anybody else kissing me to sleep at night. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Mary Ann, age four, love is when your puppy licks your face even when you left him home alone all day. That's sweet. Uh, I was finding this out this week, and and I heard somebody say, uh, you know how you can tell that your dog loves you better than your spouse? You take both of them, and you lock them in your trunk and come back in one hour. Whichever one's happy to see you, that's the one that loves you the most. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) But (laughs) just just saying. Jessica, age eight, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it, but if you mean it, say it a lot. People forget. Uh, There was a contest where parents were sending in stories about their kids, stories. They were trying to find the most compassionate, sweet kid in in, in the nation and uh, the most caring child, and this four-year-old boy won the contest. And his mom uh, sent in this story, and it was that they lived next door to an older man and woman, and, and they had been married for 55 years, and, and the, the woman passed away. And, and so the little boy wanted to go over and just visit with the old man, and so they brought cookies over. And, and the little boy said, I want to go alone, and so they brought the cookies. And, uh, and an hour later, the boy comes home, and, and mom says, son, what did you say to help him? The little boy said, I didn't say anything. I just helped him to cry. I want to get a little bit more serious than I normally do and just tell you this is a, this is a big deal to God. The days of people being Christians or the great man of God, but you're mean as a snake, that ain't Christianity. What we need to do is be people that are marked by the love of God, and and this needs to be, even though we're not perfect, I get it, this needs to be our greatest aim and our walk with Jesus. He said it this way in Matthew 5, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, 
and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of that altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come offer your gift. I put it up before and nobody's ever taken me up on it, but maybe some of y'all should get up and go find them. They ain't looking for you. They ain't expecting you. And you show up in their life. Knock up on their door. I give you license to do it. They're going to hate me. They don't want to see that. Last time we talked, we were screaming at each other. You go in there and grab them. Be like, I love you. Life's short. I don't know who's right or wrong. Can we just be good? Just saying. It's a big deal. You claim to be a Christian? What does it say in 1 John 2? You claim to be that way? Anyone who claims to be in the light, but you hate your brother or sister, you're actually still in darkness. Well, that's pretty severe, Pastor Joe. I didn't rate it. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them that'll make them stumble. Here's why I need you to do this. Here's why I need you to make love your greatest aim is because I need to lift up a church and pastor a church into a spot where you don't stumble when the world does stupid stuff because it's coming. You don't stumble when you're at Thanksgiving and somebody says something they shouldn't say. You have the love of God so much in you that you can deal with those things, not because you're, you can even have the capacity to absorb it, but because God in you can absorb it and he can see you through. Nothing will make that guy stumble when the love of God is active. Wow. And this is the journey. This is the process. This is the process of transformation where you go from being the you that was in a conversion moment, you get saved, but then you're transforming and becoming more like him, and you can get to a spot where nothing makes you stumble. Jesus was asked about this uh, by a religious person. Go figure. Uh, It says this in Matthew 22. One of these religious guys, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with a question. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. And Jesus replied pretty profound. Well, I can't give you one because there's two and they're linked. They go together. What's the first one? He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Stop. Look at me for a second. The Jews knew about loving God, but they loved God here. Let me put it this way. They loved God out of obedience. I love God and I'm going to do whatever he says because he's God right here. What Jesus is saying, uh, I want you to love him with everything. Make it go from here to here. Make it go from I will love God and you do it robotically to I love God. (laughs) I love what he's done in my life. So, So love him with everything. And then he says, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Some people just stop. They say, well, love your neighbor, love others. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say love God and love others. It says, love others as yourself. In other words, the Bible is saying that God in his relationship with you can fill you to the spot where you're so full of God's love, you don't have to make the discernment in between loving someone else and having your own needs taken care of. You can do both. What does the Bible say in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here's what it means. I shall not want. I don't want for anything. I'm so filled up on the inside. That's the relationship being described, and it's massive. What is Jesus doing? He's drawing a contrast and picking a fight with their perception of the word love. Now, you'll hear me from time to time. I'll give you the Greek word for something or the Hebrew word for something. Here's why I do that. 
the Bible was written, the Old Testament, in Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic, and then it was written in Greek in the New Testament predominantly. And here's the idea with it. There are six different Greek words for each English word. So six times more Greek words than English words. Even in Hebrew, it's way more descriptive. So you'll like, you read through the Psalms and you'll be like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And you're like, come on, one-year Bible, you know. But each one of those words, praise, means something different. There's seven different words for praise in Hebrew. And so one means bow down. The other means get, get rowdy and jump up and down. And wouldn't it be great if every once in a while we could find the context of what God is trying to communicate to us, yeah? And so here's what I'm trying to say. I want to show you what love means in Greek, in the New Testament, what God conveys love as. Maybe you want to jot these down. The first one is storge or storge, and that is a natural affection. This would be the affection that you would have for your children. It's a very natural thing. Mamas, you know what I'm talking about. The moment you held that little baby in your hand, that baby's looking back at you, you are in love with a kid. Dads, you know what I'm talking about. When they allowed you back in the room or whatever, you hold that baby, like, that's yours. I'll die before I let anything happen to that baby. You know what I'm saying, everybody? So it's natural. This is also the love you'd have for brothers and sisters, your parents, storge. Second one is phileo, uh, it is a friendship, uh, a brotherly love, like a comrade brotherly love. In fact, Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, is called the city of brotherly love. It's from this. And so it's also how you feel about your alma mater. Maybe you're a UM guy or an MSU person, and, and, and you have this like, oh, this devotion to them. That, that would be phileo. Eros uh, is a physical attraction. It's love, but it's like a body love. Eros is where we get the word erotic from. <laughs> there's room for that. I got a license to do that myself. <laughs> Bible says the married bed is undefiled. And so that's, that's where it is. It's natural. In fact, we need more of that within the spouses, spouses of New Chapel, a little bit more of that Eros love. And this is also where some people are crazy and they're like, I love chocolate. Okay, so it's like, it's the body love and that's kind of crazy and shallow. But uh, the fourth one is agape. And this is the most important one I share, want to share with you today. This is the God kind of love. This is the love that only God uses. It originates through him, and it's the kind of love that is unconditional. There's no, like, that's what that means. No conditions applied. I love you no matter what you can do, no matter your production value in my life. God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't get ready to go up on the cross and go, hey, time out, pause, Y'all going to serve me? <laughs> Y'all going to be attending church? Everybody's going to serve, right? 100% serve. Tell me you're going to tithe. Okay. If you do that, I'll, I'll jump up on the cross. No. Well, we were spitting on him. Well, we were mocking him. Well, people that were healed of leprosy were in his presence and yelling, crucify him. During all of that, beyond any condition, he says, I'll die for you. If nobody takes me up on it, I'll die for you. That's agape unconditional love. Do you see it? Maybe write this down. Agape, what does it look like? It's an intentional, it's an unconditional expression of love that chooses to do something caring or helpful regardless of the cost and regardless of the consequence to oneself. I love you. I agape you. That is the love that God wants us to show. And I think our culture has trivialized love. I talked to 
teenagers now more than I have in a while, now that we're doing student culture. And you'll hear teenagers and young people say this every once in a while, be like, oh, Pastor Joe, I just fell in love. And I'm thinking like, love is not a ditch, you know, you know, just, oh, I fell in love, you know. And what they mean is they have the feels. They feel, I feel it. Well, love is not a feeling. There it is. Love has feelings, but love is not a feeling. Let me tell you what love looks like. It's when you don't feel like it. It's, it's, when you're, it's when your toddler is sick and they don't know what's happening and they're throwing up all over and they're crying for you and you run in there and you, you pick them up and you're doing the best you can to not lose your cookies and you're, you're, you're holding this little baby, this little toddler, and you go over to the toilet and they're, they're just puking and then they're like, I feel like I got to poop and you take your toddler and you sit and it, it's like a mustard bottle or something. You know, you're just like... Jesus, 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 Jesus. I'm telling you, atheists will start calling on the name. <laughs> and so, so, and then you take them, you clean them up, you clean their sheets up, you put new sheets on, and you you rub their face while they're falling back, and they're all sweaty, and they're looking at you like, "Why did you do this to me?" You know, <laughs> I didn't do it. And you're loving them. Nobody feels like doing that. That is love beyond feeling, beyond what you want to do. Some of you have been coming to New Chapel for a couple months now, and you like it because the way that we teach at New Chapel is we put the cookies on the bottom shelf. We, we make it like pretty easy so somebody like me from the North Country can understand what's going on at church. And, and then people get encouraged, and they're like, well, go deep on me, Pastor. Go real deep. Go Perry Stone on me. Like, confuse me. And that's what they mean. They want me to confuse them. They want me to stand up here and say things that that would confuse you. And I'm not trying to be haughty, but I went to seminary, and I could confuse you. And I could grow this church to 10 very deep people sitting in a room, and we'd all be saying kumbaya together, and we'd be very deep, but we'd get nothing done if, if deep means confusing. But here's what I found in my walk with God. Deep is not confusing. Deep is hard to do. What's the deepest scripture in the New Testament? In my mind, Love your enemies as yourself. That's deep. See, it doesn't take a lot to understand that. It's very deep that it takes the doing. Because deep is not you having some intellectual grip on it. Okay, we have to love our enemies. No, 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 no. Boom. I have to love my enemies. And then you take a step and put feet to your prayers. That is is deep. That deep is hard to do, and love sometimes is hard to do. Do you know what I'm talking about, everybody? John 13, what did Jesus say? A new command I give you, and I want to show it to you. Love, agape, agape one another, unconditional love one another, as I have agape you. So you must agape one another, and by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you agape one another, your Christian frame on your license plate, your WWJD, your holy aerobics, you listen, the greatest sign somebody's a Christian is not that you have it on your Facebook profile about me. It's that people look at you and they say, oh, they're a Christian. You know it. Kai and I can see them from across the room in a restaurant. We can see them coming into the movie theater with us. You can see it because their eyes aren't just on what they're doing. They're looking at people. They're agaping. And you can see a Christian a mile away. 
How are they going to know that we're Christians? You know what? I'm all about outreach, and I'm all about sharing our faith. But one great way that we can do is just loving each other and taking care of one another. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, how do we do it? I want to give you one point. It's a one-point message. And take it in because it's one of the few at New Chapel. (laughs) I think when I say love, you're thinking about that person that's hard to love. You're thinking about that person that you're in contention with, and it's difficult. You're thinking about them. You're like, I don't know how I could ever love them. They're unlovable, and God knows that they're unlovable, and how could I ever do it? But what I want you to do is just for a second, if you could just put that aside, because I don't think that that's the reason why you can't love them is because they're awful. And, and if you're looking for anybody to agree with me, high five, they're awful. But maybe the reason why you can't love them has something to do Maybe not with them, but with you. Write this down. Here's my point. If I'm having trouble with people, it might not be a people issue. It might be a God issue. Maybe it's because you're having a hard time relating to God. Maybe it's because you have a different viewpoint of God than what he conveyed in the scripture. Maybe it's not a them. Maybe it's a you thing. Even though they may have been wrong, the reason why you can't show love to your enemies or even love sometimes dad when you're stuck in your phone or or mom when you're out doing and staying busy instead of engaging with family, maybe it's a you thing and not just a you thing, but how you're relating to God Almighty that is telling. Well, how can you say that, Pastor Joe? 1 John 4 and verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God Everyone who loves has been born of... Wait a second. That's when you're born again. If you're able to love, if you're able to show that love, it says you're right with God. And here's our big thing, New Chapel, that you know God. And whoever does not love, you don't even know what this thing's about. You're still doing the religion thing. Why? This is hard. God is love. So... So listen, I'm not telling you today that you have to give people something that you don't have. What I'm saying is you need the love of God in your life. What I'm saying is that when you know him, and I'm not talking about know him, I'm talking about you know him and your relationship with him and you're in love with Jesus and he's done something in your life and and, 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 and you've received his love, that's what you're able to give. You don't have to have affection for the person that hurts you, but you can show them love by not dishonoring them. You can show them love, the people that are unlovable in this world. You can, you can stoop down. No man stands so tall that when he stoops to help somebody who's fallen. And you can give something that you received. And that's what I'm describing in all of this. If you love, you've been born of God. And so you don't need intellectual Jesus. You don't need a church membership. You don't need a certificate. You need a relation. You need to know God. Have a real, authentic, raw relationship with him. And the old person dies and the new person starts to sprout in that place and and your sins are forgiven. A process begins and you're able to give what you've already received. Wow, that is when you change to become like Jesus. Pastor Joe, I thought this was going to be a series on family. We're going to get practical. 
we're going to talk about family. We'll get very specific, but listen to me. If we don't have heart change about this in the way that we engage family and coworker family and extended family, if we don't have a change on the inside, I'm just going to give you behavior modification. And that, my friends, is the best definition of religion. It's not a relationship with Jesus. It's do right, act right, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. And that doesn't transform a family. What will? Oh, God can melt a heart. God can take hard cases, bitter people, sore at the world, angry, and melt your heart in a minute. God can step into a family situation that's in absolute dysfunction, and a little shred of light shines so much brighter in the darkness. I've seen more of the hard cases resurrect from a spot of death than I've seen some of the people living in mediocrity. And so... We need Jesus, not a head-knowing, a heart-knowing of Jesus. And whoever says, well, I just can't do that, you don't know God. You, you don't know the power of your God. And if you only knew him, you could lend this kind of love because God is love. i got to wrap up. The Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, something that I'm praying for you in this series, Family Matters. Ephesians 3, I'm going to read starting verse 17. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that's where your foundation is, that you might have power. You don't think the power is going to come from love, but that's where it is. Together with all the Lord's holy people, and he wants you to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep the love of Christ is. And here it is. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. What is that? It's not a knowing. It's a knowing that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You want all of God that you can get. Friend, it's there. But Paul is praying, and I'm praying that you would grasp this love. Love is not one-dimensional. God has dimension here, and he wants to invite you into all of this. Some of you are in the room today, and you'd say, I know that God has more for my life. That's the journey. So we want to make converts, meaning that somebody accepts Jesus as their Lord, but we want you to engage on a journey, and that journey will make the love show up in your life. That journey will make the power of love evident in your Christian walk. How does it start? If you don't know God through Jesus, today's your day. Make Jesus Christ Lord over your life. That's a step. If you haven't been baptized, hey, three people last week got spontaneously baptized. Can we just give God praise for that, New Chapel? That's amazing. So if you're saved but you've never been water baptized, today's the day that you get water baptized. Like, go do it. Take a step. If you're not in Christian relationship, take a step. Like, let God work the plan out. And I'm telling you, as you fall more in love with Jesus and what he has for you, that love is going to show up, and that's where the power is. That's where you're not going to stumble anymore. I want to show you what this looks like. If you decide to be a person to let God's love active in your life, if you make that decision, if you decide to love well, it looks like this. You would say, I made a decision to do what is best for you, regardless of my emotions or circumstances. I've chosen to passionately love you and it isn't based on how I feel or about how you are performing. I will always endeavor to love you and others 
with God's love and respond to your failures or that of others in a Christ-like manner, a redemptive manner. If you're saying, I want to walk in love, that's what you're saying today. And that is in contrast to what the world says. This is what the world says. I have made a decision to love you, but it will be within the limitations of how I feel combined with what circumstances will allow. I hope to be able to passionately love you, but it will depend mainly on if I can keep a positive feeling about you and if you keep doing well. I commit to loving you, but want you to know that you will pay if you do me wrong. I'm not going to just let you take advantage of me, and I will do to you good or bad according to what you deserve based on what you've done to me. You're canceled. You're dead to me. That's the world, everybody. And this is what I believe God would convey to all of us today. God would say, I have made the decision to do what is best for you regardless of emotions or circumstances. I've chosen to passionately love you. And it isn't based on how I feel about you or how you are performing. I will always love you and respond to your failures with love and grace and redemption. And this will never change. That is the love of God. Wow. Do you see it? This is love. This is family. And family matters. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my church. Because God, as I brought this message today, it it really kicks up the dust in a lot of things. I know, God, that there's people that they want to walk on that higher plane. They want to love like you love, but just feel like there's a mountain in front of them. Help me to find them. You came in here today uh, with heads bowed and eyes closed, and you'd say, Pastor Joe, I need that. In fact, let me just ask, do you need the love of God? If that's, if that's you, you, you hear a message like this, you're like, I, that's what I I need God's love active in my life. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you down to the front. I just want to know who I'm praying with today. If that's you, you want the love of God in your life. Could you just slip your hand up right now all over the room? Yeah. You say, I'm a Christian, not a Christian. I don't know what I am, whatever it is. Put your hands down, anybody else? Man, let me just tell you, God's in the room, and that means love is in the room. God's love is here. And the thing that you're like, man, I want the love of God, the reason why you're drawn to it is because you felt the beginning of that, the impetus for it. It's in the air right now. God loves you. He's been there in your weakest moments, the times where you've asked, where is God? He's been there. I can't account for how everything turned out, but here's what I know about him. He's faithful, and he's far more loyal than we give him credit for. And his love is in the room right now. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray for every single person that said they need the love of God active in their lives. God, I pray that you would show them your goodness, that your love would be revealed to them, and that, God, beyond just the feeling of it all, that they'd have that heart knowing of your goodness and your faithfulness so they could trust it, they could build a life on it. God, I pray that that love would well in them and it would be something that they would be bold enough to begin to share. God, I thank you that
that even though you've called some people in the sound of my voice to do hard things and to maybe reconcile with family that have been long gone, that God, you give them grace and ability to share your love. It's not the love that they have welling up in their heart. It's the, it's the love that you gave. And so, Lord, I thank you that you give them strength to share it, to not let it end with them. Lord, I pray that you do miracles in relationships that have been damaged and hurt with strife and envy and division. God, I thank you that you don't rate off relationships, but you restore them. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that you, you, you show your love in this room. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe you're in here, you'd say you're a Christian. Maybe you're not. Maybe you want to come back home. Maybe you want to be right with God. And the only way is through Jesus. Friend, we're going to say a prayer. And if step one for you is to receive that relationship with God, now is the time. Pray out loud with me, church. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. No one has loved me like you. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Come on, somebody. Guys, I love you so much. Couldn't love you more. I can't wait for next week. Can I pray for you real quick? The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, have a great week. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.